0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM.
1: You're listening to Your Money
0: on Business Radio.
2: Hello and welcome back. Ken Smith is professor at the Wharton School. You're listening to Your Money, Series XM, Channel 132. For the rest of the show, I'll have Kurt Stowers with me. He's the founder of F5 Financial. Uh, taking your calls about your own financial situation. So if you want to know what to do with your money, how to invest it, save for retirement, kids, college, paying down debts, Maybe grandma just left you a bunch of money. We wanna. If you got a question, now is the time to call live on Tuesdays. To go grab the phone, give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton, just like the school name W H A R T O N. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. With that, again, let me introduce my next guest, Kurt Stowers, who's the founder of F5 FI Financial, like all our. Uh, uh, financial advisors on the show fee only, and he's a graduate from the University of Illinois. Football season is over, so no more Big Ten jokes. And uh, from there, he's gotten himself an undergraduate, master's, and PhD in electrical. Uh, I'm sorry, industrial engineering. Uh, and he has decided uh, to, to instead uh, use all that technical knowledge to design great financial plans for you. Welcome back to the show, Kurt.
1: We can't glad to be here today.
2: And if you got a question for Kurt and myself again, give us a call 1 844 and that's 1 844 So, Kurt, just remind us a little bit about your uh your firm. If you have a typical client, what's he or she like?
1: Sure, um, I would say the typical client would be uh, a married couple probably between 40 and 50 years old, a uh, couple kids, kids are either in college or getting close to doing college, uh, professionals, um, very busy. And uh, one of the things we see is they're just trying to figure out what uh, what's next in their life They get to that point in time where uh, financial things are going well. They've built a little bit of a nest egg, and they're looking forward, life being what they are. They're asking questions. So uh, they come to us looking for some plans, helping them with goals, and then helping them put that plan in place figure out what to do with investments. And yeah. So they've got a path to you- what we call
2: yeah, and you mentioned, you know, a lot of times at beginning of the year, people think about goals, uh, and you mentioned goals, and it's really important, of course, uh, finance advisors think uh, that we, the types of that we want to have on the show are not just going after the money, they're really thinking th- uh, through goals. I mean, why is it important? To really have a goal of, uh, for your money, I mean, unfortunately, most financial advisors aren't worried about that. They're just trying to put you in some investments to, uh, you know, kick them a, a, a commission. Uh, so, uh, describe the goal process. Sure.
1: Um, well, I think the key thing is the money is just a tool. Uh, you know, we are financial advisors, and everybody comes to us and they want to talk about investments. Yeah. And that's great. And we do that, and we've got all the education, and we can help them build solid portfolios. Uh, but when it comes to the goals, we have to find out where they're going so that we can get um, The goal process, uh, uh, you mentioned engineering background. We like to kind of pull on the, uh, the define, measure, analyze, improve, and control type cycle. Uh, sure. That's out of Six Sigma. So we yeah. need people to define where they're going, help them figure out how to measure things. And uh, we also like to talk about smart goals, specific, measurable, yeah. attainable, uh, uh, relevant, and uh, time-constrained. So we just use a traditional goal planning process, make sure that we know what they want. Uh, trying to ask a lot of qualitative questions uh, up front, and then uh, picture have them picture where they want to be, and then we start putting the, the financial things in place to right. you know, support it. That makes it a lot easier. Um, emotionally, they're more connected with the plan if they've thought about it in terms of goals as opposed to just numbers. They're talking stocks and bonds or mutual funds, and people just don't get as excited about that as they do about uh, retiring or having another house or serving someone's and things like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, really important it is it certainly is the goal process. It has to really start um, certainly there because that's when it's not just about money, as you said, it's also about... Uh, or invest in that money. It's also about making sure you're saving enough, of course, in the first place, that you have an appropriate investment for that goal, and that varies by goal, but also making sure that you have proper insurance in place, proper walls in the states, and all that type of stuff. So again, speaking of Kurt Stowers, if uh, like all our advisors on the show, fee only, now's the time to give us a call here at one 844 That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Casey calling from the great state of ohio ohio how are you I'm going help you casey you.
0: hi good afternoon um my question is about retirement and about having a, a, a business that is based on one person i have a consulting business uh s corp um If people are ratcheting down and you want to work a little less, how how long is it is it good to keep a business open? How do you go about shutting down a business? Is that something an advisor deals with you or a lawyer or what?
2: Yeah, yeah. So let's handle them in kind of order. So it sounds like you have a business that is just you, so you have no employees. Uh, which is uh, it certainly makes saving for retirement, uh, it opens all options like the SEP and so forth. Um, so the idea is you're thinking about going into retirement and winding down the business. Uh, let me ask you a few related questions. Do you feel like you know, uh, you're in a position that you can retire? Like how much have you saved up for retirement? Uh, how old are you? What type of monthly needs do you have? All that type of stuff.
0: Yeah, so I'm, you know, if you run the calculators and stuff, I'm I'm good for 35 more years. I'm 58. Okay. Um, and then at 59 and a half, I could start getting money out. I've got money in the business that would run it for, you know, pay me for a year or two. Sure. Even if I didn't work, um, you know, as I start to ratchet down, I could keep paying myself or whatever.
2: Right, I, I, right. So let me ask you. I I
0: feel like this closure process is something that could cost money or could be done
2: effectively. I mean, let let me ask you: Is there any value to selling the business to kind of somebody else who could take it over? Okay, so it's just basically just you, and uh, and there's not you're not selling yourself here. So it's uh, if there's no kind of resell (laughs) resell value of the business, then um, you know we, we could talk about. Otherwise, we could talk about kind of options there. All right. So it sounds like you're in a place to retire. um, And the money that you've saved up so far for retirement, are these in like, uh, what type of plans have you saved them up in, like in in a SEP, in uh, taxable brokerage accounts? What type of plans have you used?
0: So I have... Taxable brokerage accounts enough for a couple of years, then I have the individual 401k through the business, and then I have a bunch of rolled over money, and then I have a little pension that'll come on from an ex-employer at some point, and other real interest. Um, I mean, real income sources, rental properties,
2: etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, I forgot that you mentioned that it was an S-Corp, so yeah, you want to certainly use the individual 401k not the SEP in that case. So, uh, so, it sounds like you're in a position that you're ready to retire. I mean, so it's it's just an issue about shutting down the S-Corp that's not usually that hard. Uh, but, the, are you in a regulated industry? Do you have to give disclosure to potential clients? I mean, is are any kind of legal issues? No,
0: no. I guess no. I don't think so. I mean, I guess what I was thinking is, well, maybe I want to work at half rate or work a little bit. But at some point, you think, well, I'm running a website. I got an accountant, this and that. You know, maybe it's not worth it. Worth it anymore. I just wonder: Are there people that specialize in looking at stuff like that, or?
2: I, yeah. I mean, a financial advisor c- certainly can help you run the numbers. I mean, you can always say no to more business. It's that's a, that's a great luxury uh, to be able to have. So consider yourself fortunate. But I think what you really want to do is do an assessment to really make sure uh, that you are ready for retirement and that you're not using rosy, really optimistic numbers. Like you're not you know, using the average return to stocks uh, over time just based on the average. You really want to think about the risk involved there. Think about, you know you know a bad case scenario as if another you know, two thousand eight were to happen how long would you survive? do some scenario kind of analysis and figure out and really make sure that you're kind of robust and ready to go but so Kurt, any kind of other issues that as a business owner uh, Casey may want to be be thinking about?
1: Yeah, and Casey, I can definitely relate to what you're talking about I, I work with a lot of small business owners and and help them with some of those transition plans so um I guess the first thing I would challenge you on Casey is Um, are you sure that it's impossible that you couldn't get kind of a a junior person or somebody that you could mentor, somebody that could almost take over your business? Is that something that's even possible?
0: I doubt it, but maybe.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something to consider because (laughs) – we all think we have unique talents until, you know, we meet some guy, you know, uh, or, or woman who's like twenty years younger than us, and realize, oh, we're not so smart, you know, after all. I mean, there is potentially <laughs> sure. somebody who could, you know, take that on, and that you, you know, real value that you bring is you. You already have uh, the connection with the clients. You're validating that person. I mean, you could even have like an earnout relationship as well, where that right. person pays you some type of money over time. say, since you buy the business from you that way. It's a great stepping stone for a younger person. Maybe they don't have fancy you know, degrees from a fancy place and so forth. It, it's often a great opportunity. And sometimes, you know, business owners really love the mentoring that kind of goes on there. But I didn't want to Kurt, you, cut you off, Kurt. Uh, any last thoughts there?
1: Um, just uh, again, Casey, you've built, a, I'm sure over your, your years, you've built a lot of relationships and yeah. those have significant financial value. Um, the thing I would uh, challenge you again is look at a possible mentor relationship. And then I would also challenge you to look at where kind of your narrow brilliance is. There's a bunch of things as a business owner that, uh, that can be outsourced. You mentioned the accounting and the website and things like that. There's certain things that you can't outsource. I wonder if you took all those things that were not your core competencies, not the things that you necessarily love, if you uh, had people doing those for you. It might have to pay a little bit, but it might give you a lot more freedom. It might make the job a little more interesting, yeah. hang out a little more, if it's something that you really like. If it's uh, if a space where you're like, well, I'm just not too excited, exactly what Kent said. Run, run the numbers, and then there are other things in life. So if it's not your passion anymore, uh, look for something else. But if it's your passion, um, look for restructuring, getting some of those things off your plate, focusing your narrow areas, and possibly bringing a, a younger person in to, uh, to make it a protege and, and possibly yeah. get out of the business. And uh, that buyout that Kent's talking about, you can do some pretty good things with that.
2: Yeah. And no, I completely agree with that. <laughs> there are so certainly you could just walk away today and just uh, just shutting down things. its not hard to do. In the regulated industry, sometimes it is, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. So you can just walk away today you know, stop making payments on the website. Instruct the firm who's running it. Hey, I'm, I'm done. Uh, if you have an existing contract, you maybe have to pay up for that. Uh, easy to shut down an S-Corp, especially if you're just registered in Ohio. It's not necessarily like a fancy Delaware corporation or something like that. You, you can easily inform Ohio about shutting that down. Um, and you can inform your your clients as well, but you know, but do think about you know the incredible value that you've brought, um, and is there an opportunity to mentor a younger person who then pays you uh, over the next maybe two three years while you're at, uh, serving as mentor, um, and, you know, a portion of the proceeds they can still survive, you get an earnout from that, and then they um, uh, eventually kind of take over uh, uh, that that business. Uh, but either way, make make sure that you can really are using realistic assumptions, do scenario analysis, and make sure that you're really robust to go um, and walk away from this. Thanks so much for calling, Casey. Really appreciate it. And again, speaking of Kurt Stowers, uh, founder of F5 Financial, like all other advisors on the show in this segment, you fee-only in Illinois, uh, doing a great job, as always, answering your questions. So live on Tuesdays. grab the phone, give me a call here at one eight four four 844 That's 1-844-942-7866. Let me go to uh, Mia uh, calling from California. How can I help you, Mia?
3: Hi, huh. Hi, how are you guys? Good,
2: good, okay, good. Okay, so
3: I was uh, let go from a restructure from a company, mm. and I've so far transferred my 401k to a traditional um, from to Fidelity. I mean, from Fidelity to Fidelity. Okay. And now it's kind of just sitting there, and I have to kind of make a decision on what I want to do with the money there. And before, I had it in a target date fund. Yep. I'm just not sure if that's the direction to go. I don't know too much about investing.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like you were in a, a target date fund that uh, through your 401k that was managed uh, by Fidelity. Then you did a, tr- uh, a rollover into a traditional IRA kind of rollover account. Uh, and do you know how it's currently invested in that, in that IRA?
3: Well, they keep a portion of the company stock that I did work for, but the rest was transferred over as cash. And I now have to make the decision on the direction I want to go with it. Oh,
2: so it's just sitting in a Um, sweep, what's called a sweep account right now?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's been there like for two days now.
2: All right. I mean, because normally it would not take that stop in a sweep account. It would actually uh, move on to a a traditional kind of IRA uh, 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 rollover. Uh, How old are you, Mia?
3: I am 47.
2: Okay. So, Kirk, uh, you know, let's help me out here. I mean, I think the much bigger issue than uh, the investments, because she could always select a target date fund if that's what she was happy with, and probably, um, since it's outside of the 401k, even uh, a little bit cheaper in the IRA rollover, making sure she picks the right one there. Uh, it, it, but uh, explain the process of kind of the rollover and the kind of the dangers if she doesn't get that money into a traditional IRA within, you know, uh, 30 days.
1: Um, no, it's already in the IRA, I believe, Ken. She said it's already been transferred over into the IRA.
2: Has it actually? Yeah, yeah. It, oh, oh, is it? So it actually is sitting in an IRA, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
3: no, no. They transferred it um, two ways. One is a Roth IRA because I had some okay. other tax contribution. And then the rest was put in a traditional IRA. Uh,
2: okay, at the okay. Time and I
3: made any investment choices. Okay, what so I wanted to do so to manage a,
2: it. I see. So it's sitting in the sweep account inside the IRA because a lot of times the sweep account is the is the stop. It's it's held. Out, it's just in your regular taxable brokerage account. There's a sweep account that's kind of just. It's supposed to be at the stopping, you know, or intermediate stop, you know, before you uh, move the money into the kind of the next uh, stage there. And that's actually how a lot of companies make most of their money is that they pay a low amount on that sweep account, lend out the money. And then, um, you know, they arbitrage the difference in rates there. So it's good that at least, even though it's in a sweep against at least sitting in the IRA, because it gets you around some legal uh, issues about distributions. So then, uh, at Kurt, I mean, assuming that Maya was happy, you know, with the, um, the traditional, uh, the regular, you know... Um, uh, life cycle fund that she was in the target date fund that she was in, I imagine she could just find another one hopefully keep you know costs low and so forth it, that's probably even cheaper our, our, of course, target date funds are pretty simple or you know if she, so let's focus on the question um it, it, what type of person would you feel comfortable using a target date uh uh fund and what type of person do you think it's you know over, overly simple for
1: right. So I think the, one of the big benefits of the target date fund, Ken, is like you, like you mentioned, they are fairly efficient. Costs have gotten down a lot lower, and they do kind of protect you um, from uh, uh, from maybe thinking you're smarter than uh, than the average bear. So the nice thing about the target date fund is for investors that maybe aren't too sophisticated to uh, get a little nervous, and also for investors that uh, that tend to want to play with things, uh, it keeps your hand out of the. Uh, uh, the mess. So, it's a really good idea if you don't have a lot of sophistication or if you're impulsive. Um, for investors that maybe um, are more interested in learning more about how to invest in a systematic manner, um, you might be able to do a little better with, uh, with um, more uh, of a build-your-own portfolio. The one risk with target date funds is, uh, over time, they do end up drifting to a very low equity allocation. And depending on where you're at with all of your assets and your life plan and, and so on and so forth, you may be better served to not be quite as low in equity. There's been some research even suggesting that uh, in certain situations, you might even be better off raising equity allocations um, in certain situations. So I think that's one of the big things. Uh, I guess, Nia, the other thing to help you make this decision, I would really encourage you to if you're share with us or talk to somebody a little bit more about what other career opportunities, um, are you part of a family unit where there's some other income, and then also just kind of how you look at that nest egg compared to what your expenses are. Is the nest egg 10 times your annual spend or 100 times your annual spend? Because there's much different situations that you're going to have. If it's one times your annual spend, it's one situation. If it happens to be you know 30 or 40 times your annual spend,
2: You get some different options available to you. Yeah, and so just to summarize, uh, Mia, uh, if Uh um, if you especially if you don't have a lot of other assets outside for for retirement um, uh, outside of this uh, rollover account. Um, so you don't have a, a taxable brokerage account, because otherwise you would want to make sure that uh, you think about asset allocation across all of your accounts. Um, this, is the, this is the main asset that you have for retirement, and, and if you have some housing equity, you might want to think about that as well if if, if it's a lot, but uh, if this is a, kind of your main um, saving vehicle, then you can certainly find a target date fund, even in the rollover IRA, but you still have to be careful. Um, there's a lot going to be, you're going to have a lot more choices in that rollover IRA than you have in your 401k and there will be a lot of vendors who have very high you know, expense ratios even inside of a, a rollover IRA. So in, in, instead what you should do is really look for a, a target date fund. That uh, similar type of date that you previously had, uh, and that is has the low expenses, and don't and, and really make sure that they're well diversified. They're uh, the, the the stocks are like in a a, a, a broad index fund like the S and P 500, or even broader than that. That includes things like uh, uh, even uh, a large cap plus middle cap plus small cap, kind of a more of a total market. Uh, type stock exposure, as well as a broad bond fund, and look for a low expense ratio. What you should avoid doing um, is, is is looking at the past performance of the last couple of years because uh, Fidelity is not the only one. A lot of them will uh, uh, will uh, present you with funds that happen to have done well in the last few years, are so also very expensive. And in fact, the the performance in the last few years is not predictive at all about performance going forward. The the most pre- predictable thing that you can do for getting higher returns is simply to keep expenses. Low. So thanks so much for calling for me. I appreciate it. And again, speak of Kurt Stowers, founder of F5 Financial Fee Only Advisor. Uh, doing a great job answer answering your questions. Give us a call right now here at one Wharton. That's one eight four four we would love to answer your question. Let me go to David calling from Michigan. How can I help you, David? Hey, good evening. Thanks for
1: taking the call. Sure. We're looking for a vehicle to help us set up a charitable legacy-type account, and uh-huh. it's been suggested for a donor-advised fund. Yeah. we just looking for opinions and ideas and options. All
2: right. So this legacy, is this legacy uh, in terms of trying to pass money within the family? Because the donor-advised fund is not the right vehicle for that, or are you thinking no. about it's just simply trying to uh, make charitable contributions to different charities and things like that?
1: charitable contributions and teaching the generation the next generation that there's something in how to do it.
2: Okay, so just to focus on that last point there, when you say teaching the next generation, is that like your kids and how to be charitable in general, or what does that mean?
1: Yes, for us that's what it means, and to work with the grandchildren too.
2: Okay. So it's not trying to transfer them assets. It's just more of a demonstration, uh, certainly to them. And so I have a couple of thoughts there. But first, uh, uh, Kurt, uh, explain the donor advised fund, because uh, they've become all the rage uh, right now. Sometimes Mm -hmm. used to be called kind of the poor man's Mm -hmm. endowment, although very rich people are now using donor advised funds because they don't have the... 5% 5% and other type of rules that are attached with endowments. Uh, there's certain rules with that, but they also have a double tax benefit as well. Uh, so, David, before I forget, are, are, are you going to be giving away appreciated stock, or are you going to give away cash?
1: Uh, probably cash.
2: Okay. So the donor advised fund is going to be a little bit less valuable uh, there, but it still uh, has some uh, advantages over writing a bunch of checks. So, uh, so Kurt, explain that.
1: The donor advised fund, I uh, think of it as a as a, a place to place your funds where you've given it to an entity, as a charitable entity, but you still remain some have some control remaining over it. So if you get twenty thousand dollars and you say, well, I don't really know whether I want to give to charity A or charity B, you can give it to a donor advised fund, and then that donor advised fund allows you to give as you see fit to charity A, charity B, charity C. One of the really nice things about the donor advised funds is. Um, if you're starting, if you're, let's say you have $50,000 you'd like to give, um, uh, or change change around a little bit, yeah, $50,000. Um, with the itemization rules change under the tax law, sometimes if you were to give 20000 in one year, 20000 the next year, 20000 the following year, you may not even get up high enough to itemize. With the donor-advised fund, all of the contributions to the donor-advised fund, you can actually itemize, so you get the tax breakdown as well. Um, lots of different options with the donor-advised fund. Some will take care of doing the investment on your behalf. Some of you can have a little bit more say on that. But the big thing is you've got the completed gift, so it qualifies if it makes sense tax-wise as an itemized deduction, but you still can decide which entities you want to give it to. Most donor advised funds require that the entities you give it to be 501c3 charitable, charitable um, entities. Um, I think, uh, Kent, it be good to talk to David a little bit more about the the dollars he's talking about, as far as is there maybe some other options to maybe he doesn't need a poor man's endowment, maybe he can actually build an endowment depending on how big it is. And
2: yeah, how much money? How much money are we talking about, David?
1: We're probably gonna start with a hundred thousand. Okay. Um, and then there'll probably be some moved over at an inheritance at our death.
2: Okay, so so I would think that donor-advised fund is, is probably still the right uh, vehicle. So, David, uh, let me ask you uh, this. I mean, do you have stocks and other type of assets that are held outside of a, a 401k, something in a taxable brokerage account um, as well? Very little. Okay, because that's that's actually if you had um, stocks and things like that, um, that's actually what you want to donate through the donor advised fund, and the and the reason why is you get a double tax benefit. One is all the ca- capital gains um, um, it would it actually gets eliminated when you um, donate the, the 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 assets to the donor advised fund, and then secondly, you still get the write off against your income uh, for uh, it as you uh, uh, give give away the money. So it, just to summarize here, and Kirk did a great job trying to explain it, uh, when you actually set up a donor advised fund and you infuse um, it with money, at the very point that you've done that, You've actually given away the money. Um, in fact, the largest charity in the United States right now is no longer the United Way. It is Fidelity charitable contributions, and Fidelity charitable is now the. Because uh, technically, people who use Fidelity when they uh, and then Fidelity charitable, as soon as they infuse that money into Fidelity charitable, it's irreversible. You gave Fidelity charitable. That money, and so what you do then is that uh, going along, uh, you you then give instructions to Fidelity Charitable that says, okay, here's who uh, you make what's called a recommendation, <laughs> and Fidelity Charitable almost always would follow that recommendation because they have no reason not to, unless they think it's going to break the law. So in particular, you now make recommendations about Fidelity Charitable will now transfer that money to your you know your favorite you know church, synagogue, foreign you know mission. You know, uh, nonprofit and so forth. Typically, they would have to be um, public. uh, They would have to have a a United States uh, public charity uh, designation to them, as as recognized by the IRS. And so, some of them use like uh, a charity kind of navigator, and some of the others I use uh, Vanguard for my donor advised fund. I forget what the lookup is that they use. Uh, It's a particular tool to make sure that your charity is available. So, if you really know the charities that you want to give to, and are pretty intent at making sure that they get that um, uh, th- that money, you could actually set the donor advised fund first, look up the charities um, through the Vanguard or Fidelity or, w- or whatever uh, uh, website that you use, and look those up to make sure that those charities are, in fact, available. They've always been available in my case, but in one case, I actually found one that, that was not on the list, and so I had to get that little charity to do some work to make sure that they were properly being recognized by their IRS and so forth, It wasn't much work. And so now you make these recommendations, and as Kurt pointed out, um, a one big tax benefit of that is that if you were otherwise, word be uh, getting the standard deduction, not itemizing, you can actually make all the contributions their are $100,000 in this year or next year or whatever, and make it, say, this year, um, have the tax benefit. Benefit be uh, accrued there for this year. Um, and by the way, you could actually, if you wanted to break it out over the next five years, you could actually do that. Um, uh, and then what you could do is then move uh, 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 decide uh, over the next five years, you could actually elect how to distribute out that money. So if you're planning on making $20,000 a year, um, you could actually make the $100,000 contribution this year uh, and distribute out that money over the next five years. And what's also really neat about that is that you actually get one tax receipt at the end of the day, and all the different uh, foundation or all the different charities, they don't send you the normal tax receipt anymore because uh, it's only the donor advised fund uh, that actually uh, sends out the statements uh, that of contribution is what they call it, and that uh, is now proof that you made that contribution. So uh, donor advised funds are a little bit less, you know, useful when you're making a cash contribution because you could have done that anyway. Just directly, um, so they're not going to be as uh, useful other than saving yourself on on receipts and things like that. You don't get the yeah. You might still get an acknowledgement letter from the charity, but they're no longer going to say uh, give you a tax receipt. Uh, it just kind of, kind of simplifies the paperwork. But if for for our listeners who have appreciated assets. No question, that's what you first give um, and hold on to your cash. You know, consume with re- uh, your uh, for retirement with your cash, and then you know, give out the appreciated assets. They kind of get that double tax benefit. Is that helpful, David? Yes, it is. Thank you. All right, good luck with that. And uh, love it when people give away their money. It's 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 it's, uh, it's certainly an important sign of uh, gratitude. And again, speaking with guy Kurt Stowers, who is the founder of F. Financial, uh, like all other advisors on the segment, fee only. If you got a question about your own finances, now is the time to call. Uh, live on Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern. So pick up the phone, grab it, grab give me a call here at 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 844 942 Uh, <laughs> Saying it quickly, one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So we talked about uh, goals a little bit, uh, Kurt, and you know, along with an importance of you know goals is that you know many people they don't understand kind of the, the numbers, you know, uh, what they should keep track of. You know, it's this thing about budgeting as well. I mean, uh, some people argue that you should really be really disciplined and tr- keeping track of you know, everything that you spend and save and so forth. And then the other view is, no, you should just more automate your saving and don't really track all your spending um, because otherwise you're not really going to track your spending um, over very long periods of time. Uh, What's your thought about that in terms of kind of being disciplined that way?
1: I I think both techniques are extremely effective. Um, I think a lot of it goes to the psychology of the individual. Some people, uh, you know, I'm an engineer. I like to have control. So uh, to me, I like to be tracking things and, and watching it and you know, monitoring things that way. So using uh, you know Quicken or Mint or any of the tools uh, uh, out there to track every dime is certainly good. Um, uh, what I would say though is automation is very difficult to beat. Um, yeah. We are creatures of habit, and uh, if we, when I look at uh, the clients we work with, we try and help them understand their spending. But then after we understand the spending, we try and encourage them to just kind of funnel the, the funds where we want to go. So max out that 401K. Uh, if you've got kids and you're looking for college? Let's put the 529 in place. When you get that raise, let's go ahead and start a taxable brokerage account kind once of, you've done this. And so let's just go ahead and make sure that the money goes away to those places that uh, that it's going to be used for our goal that you've defined. And then whatever is left, uh, they can, uh, can do what they want with um, our engineering types like to take with less and still monitor that and slice it nice at 87 different ways. But, you know, between the, between the tracking everything and the automation, I think I'd come down to the automation side as a, as a preference. But a lot of it has to do with psychology. Some people aren't happy unless they can get into the details of it. And that's important that they're allowed to do that because uh, then they
2: feel like they have control and they can be more responsible. Yeah, and I completely agree with that <laughs> in particular, just trying to create a more automated ways of saving the deduction from your uh, from your paycheck into your 401k. If you have to do additional savings to your 529, uh, some cases you can automate that, in other cases you just have to be disciplined and say, you know, we're going to be saving this much for that, but not necessarily having to do uh, concrete budgeting. I would say if someone is having a hard time saving for their goals, that Sometimes, you know, the time to maybe do a, bu- a track budgeting for a couple months just to really make sure you understand where your money is going to make sure that you, you uh, could potentially cut back on some areas. There might be a big, you know, funnel that's going out, you know, to Starbucks that you're not aware of. But otherwise, if you're able to hit your goals, might as well um, and just enjoy life and not uh, worry about monitoring every single expense. So, great answer. So, uh, Kurt Stowers, founder of F5 Financial a family advisor firm in illinois i uh, love to answer a question here at one eight four four Wharton. that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six let me go to nick calling from massachusetts nick how could help, help you hey
4: kent uh, i'm a college student and i'm just wondering i guess i'm kind of the opposite end of that previous caller who's looking to give away to charity i'm uh, you know, I don't have a lot of money and you, you would I like make, me to I connect you with you.
2: You would like me to connect yeah, you with that yeah, previous exactly. caller I so can you can be on the receiving side of that. I get that.
4: Um, no, but so, you know, I'm optimistic and I, I want to start early because I believe in the power of compounding interest. Mm. Um, but I just feel like I went to Charles Schwab and I had a meeting with them um, and they just kind of didn't really take me seriously. They were like, well, you don't have a lot of money. Like it, they, you know, they were kind of shallow with me, and they they kind of just said like, "Oh, maybe come back when you uh, start making more." And but it's good that you're they like patted me on the back basically. And said it's good that you're trying, but you know a thousand dollars is not a lot. So yeah. I guess I'm kind of like, what what can I do as a college kid?
2: Yeah, you know, and I'm you're an su-
4: engineering student, so I really don't have time to like, you know, just mess around and yeah, do anything. I, I'm I'm always studying, and I have a part time job. You know, um, I actually work for radio. I work as an engineer for radio. Um, awesome! So I love what you guys do. <laughs> um, so I make money there, but I'm not always working, and I don't have a ton of money, and I have to pay for my school as well.
2: So uh, that was going to be my, my my main question. Sure. I mean, so you yeah. actually have money to save, or do you have student loans? Um, uh, um, so
4: luck- sorry, uh, luckily, my my parents put money aside. Um, nice. But they they have me pay as well. They have me pay them. Um, so that we don't okay. have student loans and that I don't have to have it hanging over my head, but I do pay them back just so they can have, like you always say, have some skin in the game. Sure.
2: So what is the, what is the savings that you're doing, uh, a few hundred bucks a month or something like that? What's the purpose of that? What's the end goal? Is it that uh, finance tuition next semester or is it after college or is it just you know, uh, some reserve fund? What's the purpose of it?
4: Um, basically, yeah, so a, a large portion of it does go to school um, and then... You know, I keep—I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do anything like extra. Like, I keep wow. my costs down. I don't drink coffee, nothing like that. I'm very conservative like that. Wow. With my money, um, but. So some right, of I'm it is, kind of, some of it's, it,
2: I yeah, I guess some of it is, sounds like it's for the, uh, uh, the student bill. Uh, so you don't want to be gambling with that and putting that in the stock market anyway. Uh, and But and some of that is, you know, maybe for unforeseen expenses or maybe after college. And Nick, you know, very impressed with the, the fact that you're thinking about this as a student. I mean, you told me a few words. I mean, calling from Massachusetts, you told me you're optimistic, which therefore tells me you think you're not going to Harvard because we were all incredibly. Jaded and nihilistic, uh, and uh, haters of life there. Uh, and your engineering, yeah, you're working hard. I don't know. I, I could be guessing the school, the other school down the street there. But no, I'm kidding. Uh, so I love the attitude and that they're getting an early uh, a start on this. So Kurt, uh, just a couple of minutes left in this segment, but some some thoughts for Nick. It sounds like some of the money is definitely is good for stipend, and some of the money is not. Uh, is maybe just not sure yet. I mean, things that can come up and maybe. Uh, you know, other things that, you know, after, after uh, graduation.
1: So a couple thoughts here. Um, you know, you, you, mentioned you're working for radio, so you're going to have some earned income. I think uh, looking at opening a Roth account, and even if you just keep it, uh, keep it in cash, I'd yeah. rather get invested, but keep it in cash. You've got some nice things where you can get money out of a Roth. Um, so I think that's a good thing to go. Um, but really, uh, Nick, uh, and kudos on the engineering front. I'm big fans of that, obviously. Um, I think what you should do is just spend a little bit of the money and I say spend a little bit of money, um, pick up a couple books. Um, one of the best things you can do as far as to be effective is to understand the finances. Um, you know, uh, Bogle has a guide to investing, John Bogle from uh, Vanguard. That's a good one. Um, anything from Dave Ramsey, uh, some of his uh, books uh, talk about uh, spending is good. Um, there's another one that's a little little different. Uh, again, Ramit Sethi wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. It's targeted at younger folks. Um, I would, uh, I think, 100 bucks and go pick up some of those books. Um, you've got the engineering minds. So you're going to be able to pick it up pretty quick. And uh, I'd invest in yourself here. Uh, get some of the Roths, but I would, I would pick up some basic books on, on the finances and understanding finances and uh, do that. That's going to pay sure. really big dividends in the
2: long run. Yeah, certainly, we always want people, your human capital, Nick, is what you're investing in right now. and It's by far your biggest asset. It's certainly becoming a little bit more uh, financial literary. I understand, though, that, that the time constraints uh, uh, going on in, in your life right now because you really don't want to get too distracted from the degree. You want to really build that human capital. And again, uh, Kurt, having a PhD in industrial engineering certainly understands the background that you're going through. Uh, Uh, And I certainly like the idea of picking up some, you know, especially when you have some spare time, you know, a a nice Sunday afternoon or something, you know, maybe uh, perusing through a book. Uh, in, In the short run, what I would say is that if, in fact, you do have money that you know for sure that you're using for something like uh, school expenses. You know, maybe just uh, open up an online savings account. You know, it's not your normal checking account, kind of out of sight, out of mind. And you can do the transfers always in a couple days to make sure you uh, eventually have that money in your checking account to to pay for school stuff. But the other uh, piece of that is then you want to have a few hundred bucks just for emergencies that come up. They they can always, you know, unexpected things. You have to go home uh, unexpectedly and other things that come up. Uh, But then, um, the rest, I I very much agree with Kurt. Now's the time to open up a Roth IRA because, you know, um, or even just even a traditional IRA because there's, uh, uh, well, I'm sorry, a Roth IRA. (laughs) You're you're not earning that much income. So just do a Roth IRA because you're not going to be taxed on that income very much anyway. And so you put that money after tax today. And so take advantage of the Roth IRA, especially while you're young. So thanks so much for calling. Thanks so much Kurt for coming back on this show. And we'll see you next Tuesday. And you can find out, out Kurt, by the way, by going to his website, which is F5FP, as in Paul, .com, F5FP.com. And we'll see you next Tuesday, 5 p.m.
0: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.